0: Please open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 16, Exodus chapter 16, and Exodus is the second book in the Old Testament. There are 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 for the New, and the book of Exodus, the second book of the Old Testament, mirrors Mark, which is the second book of the New Testament. Moses, of course, is a type of Christ, and the people of Israel are a type of the church, the body of Christ. Moses is going to deliver... Several million Jews out of physical slavery, whereas the Messiah is going to deliver many millions of people out of spiritual slavery, spiritual bondage. Exodus chapter 16, look at verse 1 please. And they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came unto the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after departing out of the land of Egypt. So they are on the move. And again, you've got anywhere from between three to six million Jewish men, women, and children. You've got livestock, quite a commotion, quite a sight. And like I've been saying over the past 40 or something weeks, it's difficult to try and draw a similarity, to try and find a comparison between such an exodus. On top of that, this is completely supernatural. This is completely of the Lord. And yes, every so often he will... Use his own people to achieve such a goal. But here it's all of the Lord. Going back to your salvation. Salvation is solely down to the Saviour. Look at verse 2. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses now in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them. Were to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger so within a short period of time the children of israel are not only murmuring against moses and aaron much like they would do against jesus and john or paul and barnabas or peter and john the apostle and this goes to show once again how quickly we forget when you first believed on the lord jesus christ you were pardoned when you first received him, you were exonerated. When you first got saved, you were predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son. You are now royalty, whether you like it or not. Your standing, your state, and always be mindful of this, that they're not the same. In other words, you may not be in, fe- uh, in fellowship with the Lord, but you're still a son of God. You're still a daughter of the Lord. And therefore, in a very short period of time, the children of Israel have switched. They've gone from singing to the saviour, to slating the saviour. They don't like the idea that things aren't going to be as easy as they would think. And this, of course, feeds into service. If you sign up to be a soldier in the British Army or a marine in the Navy or a pilot in the Air Force, you go through several weeks of gruelling selection, testing, and even sacrifice. It's very difficult. And I'm told if you join the Marines, not only do you spend several weeks down in the southwest of England, but not only are you down there for several weeks, do you sleep naked with your fellow colleagues, your fellow comrades? It is compulsory. And you say, why would that be the case? To break you down. So there's no embarrassment and also so that you all trust one another. Whole congregation, verse 2, not just some, whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. They would murmur against the Lord Jesus Christ, like I have just said. They would murmur against John the Baptist. They would say to John the Baptist, "'Who do you think you are? "'Where do you get your authority from? "'Why do you dress in such a peculiar way? "'Why are you so rough, so uncouth? "'Why don't you speak like we speak?' "'Children of Israel,' verse 3, "'said unto them, "Would to God, the one swearing by God.' "'And the Lord said, "'Don't swear by God, nor the things in heaven. Would to God, we had died by the hand of the Lord "'in the land of Egypt.' When we sat by the flesh pots and we did eat bread to the full. For ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So what they are saying in essence is it would have been better for us to have been left in Egypt. We could have died in Egypt. Why have you brought us out into the wilderness? You come out of the world system and temporarily you are in the wilderness. The Apostle Paul would go into the wilderness. He would spend I think three or four years, maybe three years, in the wilderness he spent time with the Lord Jesus Christ went into the wilderness spent time with the Lord so again you've got the world you've got the church but you've got wilderness the wilderness and that wilderness is there as a buffer but here the children of Israel are murmuring they are complaining they're ungrateful they're like spoiled brats a spoilt brat is never happy never satisfied always wants more is always griping always complaining I want this, I want that. They start to stamp their feet and cause quite a commotion. I remember going shopping maybe a year or so ago, and as I was queuing up to pay for my shopping, I could hear this terrible commotion. A young child was shouting and screaming. Everybody in the supermarket was looking, and by the exit, I could see this mother struggling with a young child, and the father wasn't much help either, and the mother was trying to get this child, her child, back on its feet. And the child was kicking and screaming, I want this, I want that. I've seen kids attacking their parents, slapping their parents. There was a clip put on Facebook maybe a year or so ago of two Islamic young boys slapping their mother around. Mm. And somebody was filming it. And I thought that's going to be an unfortunate and un- an unpleasant start to their early years. They'd probably seen their father slap the mother about. And now they are also doing the same so verses 1, 2, and 3, the people of Israel are on the move. Moses is their captain. Contrast that to Jesus as our captain. It's the will of Moses, it's the responsibility of Moses to get the children from A to B. It's the responsibility of the Messiah to get the church from A to B. I've used the analogy in the past, and i use it again very quickly. You board a plane, you board a bus, you don't expect the driver or the pilot to turn around and say, Can you help me out? Can you help me uh, get the plane from A to B or can you help me get the train or the bus from A to B? It doesn't work that way. And yet I was told one story many years ago of a young party travelling to school with a friend of theirs and the bus driver said, where are we going? Do you know the way? And this young party said, yes, you go left, you go right, keep on going, sharp left, sharp right. And when the bus driver got this young party and their friend to school, he gave them, I think, a pound each, something bizarre. He was obviously a new bus driver, but that's pretty rare. Polish, Polish you don't save yourself. You don't save yourself. You don't say to the Lord, let's swing a sharp left. Let's swing a sharp right. You board the bus, the coach, the plane, the train. And Moses is at the wheel. The Messiah is at the wheel. But, of course, along the way, it's beneficial for you to buckle up. It's beneficial for you to enjoy the journey. It's beneficial for you to have perhaps a flask of coffee or a pre-packed sandwich. You want to enjoy your salvation, don't you? If you don't want to enjoy it, it's going to be a bumpy route. And of course, goes back to your standing in your state. That goes back to your relationship, your fellowship with the Lord. A lot of Christians are not in fellowship with the Lord. A lot of Christians don't have any assurance of being saved because they're not walking with the Lord. They almost never read the Bible. They neglect witnessing. They do even less witnessing. And they wonder why they're so barren. They wonder why things are so rough. Look at verse 4. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they walk in my law or no. So he's going to test them. He's going to prove them. He wants to know whether or not they are really with him. This feeds back into the New Testament. The Lord Jesus Christ, as the Son of Man, his human nature, was tested time after time. He was tested directly and indirectly via Almighty God, being God the Father. God the Father would use the devil to test him. Sometimes the unbelieving Jews would fire questions at him. They would ask their lawyers to interrogate him, to put him on the stand almost. And here the Lord is testing children of israel as to whether or not they can keep the law and yet of course you know you can't keep the law the law is a schoolmaster to bring us unto the lord the law if the truth were known is against you not for you then said the lord unto moses verse 4 behold i will rain bread from heaven for you and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day a bit like appropriating the atonement. I will provide, nay need to appropriate it, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. Bread from heaven. John chapter 6, the Lord told the Jews he was the bread from heaven. Bread from heaven, angels' food. Jesus Christ is the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord is Jesus Christ. The angel of the Lord provides bread from heaven and therefore angels' food is connected to the angel of the lord and that comes from heaven jesus christ is the bread from heaven we eat the lord we drink of the lord we feast on the lord old testament the jews were baptized into moses baptism new testament the church is baptized into the messiah's baptism first corinthians chapter 10 water is connected to moses ephesians chapter 4 baptism in a spiritual sense is connected to the Messiah. So it comes really down to one or two things. For the Old Testament, you are either with Moses, affiliated with Moses, of the household of Moses, or you are not. New Testament, you are either affiliated with the Messiah, a part of the Messiah's household, or you are not. You are either saved or unsaved. There is no middle ground. Five, and it shall come to pass that on the sixth day. They shall prepare that which they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. So you've got a six-day week. Now the Sabbath, of course, begins Friday sundown until Saturday sundown. And Orthodox Jews, Hasidic Jews, are very strict when it comes to observing such a Sabbath. And what normally happens if those Jews are in the hotelier business is they will hire Gentiles. And the Gentiles will work throughout the Sabbath period. They will work during times of Jewish feast days like Hanukkah, uh, Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, stuff like that. And they will run the show. But I've always been intrigued as to what Jewish online business people do. I'd like to know, for example, what they do if they have websites. Do they deactivate them during the Sabbath? They may do. And if you know, drop me a line. What about Jewish banks? The idea is quite simply this, that six days you work, the seventh day you rest. It marks the seventh day of the lord on the seventh day the lord rested being saturday of course now for today today is sunday this is the lord's day the lord's day is not the sabbath the sabbath is not the lord's day they're not the same and yet just a few days ago i was in king's cross central london doing some street work a lady came over to our little group and we got talking to her and she said this she said well i'm a strong believer in the sabbath and i knew where she was going with this and she said to me i think that the church professing church, the body of Christ is neglecting, has neglected the observance of the Sabbath, so on and so forth. And I said to her, first for the Sabbath is a Saturday, not a Sunday. And also Paul told you from the book of Romans, chapter 14, how some people will pick out one day over another, and how another group of people will pick out no day. They will have no uh, specific day to mark out, to celebrate the Lord's resurrection. But just for the record, the Lord Jesus Christ will be resurrected on a Sunday. Or, uh, technically speaking, late Saturday, early Sunday morning, because the Jews count their days from the evening to the morning. The early church would meet on a Sunday. The early church would break bread on a Sunday. The early church would take up a collection on a Sunday. In fact, the first two or three centuries after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, groups around the Roman Empire especially would meet every Sunday morning, from around 5 a.m. till 11 a.m. On a particular high point, And they would wait for the sun to come up. And they would be worshipping the Lord. Praising the Lord. What a sight that must have been to see. And after a while Christians got lazy. They started to not want to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning. Then it became 6 o'clock in the morning. Then it became 7 o'clock in the morning. Then it became 8 o'clock in the morning. Then it became 9 o'clock in the morning. Then it became 10 o'clock in the morning. And then it became 11 o'clock in the morning. And that's a time which has stuck. It is tradition, of course. It's not set in stone. 6. And Moses and Aaron said unto all the children of Israel, At even, at evening, then ye shall know that the Lord hath brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning, then ye shall see the glory of the Lord, for that he heareth your murmurings against the Lord. And what are we that ye murmur against us? Why are you murmuring? against us why are you lashing out at us because they couldn't lash out at the lord if you are a christian if you do any kind of street work if you get pushed around physically if you get spat at physically if you have been assaulted physically if you've been cussed out sworn at physically nine times out of ten that is taking place because the people can't get to the lord they will get to you they will lash out at you but here the jews are entitled to a sign and Time after time, the Lord gives them a sign to prove that he is the one true God, and also because he loves them. Now, for the New Testament, the greatest sign that we could ever want to receive as Christians would be, uh, first of all, the resurrection, of course, of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we have something inside of us. We have the Spirit of God inside of us, testifying that we belong to the Lord. We don't need to see physical signs and wonders. Yes, it's nice, of course, but we don't need physical signs or wonders, most of us get a great blessing just by reading maybe two or three chapters of the Bible a day. Or maybe one or two verses every day. shall come to pass, verse 5, that on the sixth day, day before the Sabbath, they shall prepare that which they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. So they're going to get a double blessing because the Lord wants the Jews to be different from the world. The church wants to be just like the world. In the Old Testament, the Jews were told to be different than the gentiles today when a gentile gets saved many times not always but many times that gentile wants to become just like the jews he or she wants to dress up like the jews he or she wants to keep the sabbath and they call that the Sabbath. he or she wants to keep the feast days he or she wants to be really jewish in the morning verse 7 then you shall see the glory of the lord a bit like the transfiguration for that he heareth your murmurings against the Lord. Absolutely. Whether you're saved or unsaved, every time you murmur, every time you complain, every time you start to sound like an old woman, for use of a better term, he doesn't care for it much. You have no reason to complain. I mean, if you're saved. If you're born again, your name is written in heaven. If you are born again, you have the inner witness of the Holy Ghost. If you are born again, you are already up in the heavenly places, according to Ephesians chapter 2. It's going to be bumpy down here. It's going to be rough down here. But i put it to you this way. The chances are you will never suffer. Anywhere near what Job. Or Jesus. Or Paul would suffer. And what are we? That you murmur against us. In other words we are anointed. We are commissioned. Like inspired of the Holy Ghost. So why are you kicking against us? Or turn it around and put it this way. Every time you critique the old or the new testament you are critiquing the spirit of god because he wrote both testaments every time you attack the old testament prophets or the new testament apostles you are attacking the lord because he chose such people every time you blaspheme the lord jesus christ like jc or omg you are attacking almighty god because jesus christ is the express image of almighty god and that's why it's so dangerous when you come up and uh, when you come across liberal Christians. And these liberals will start to attack both Testaments. They will slate the atonements of the Lord Jesus Christ, but nine times out of ten, they will deny him His deity. And when they do that, they are not only condemning uh, the Scripture and the Lord Jesus Christ, but they are also condemning themselves. Look at verse 8. And Moses said, This shall be when the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat, And in the morning bread to the full. For that the Lord heareth your murmurings which ye murmur against him. And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us but against the Lord. Going back to 1 Samuel chapter 8. On that occasion the Jews said to Samuel. We want a king to rule over us. We want to be like the Gentiles. We don't want our Lord up in the skies. Or appearing in clouds. Or being... uh, invisible to the human eye for the most part who want kings to fight our battles who want leaders to represent us and old samuel was very distraught about such a statement would spend the night praying on his face he was in a lot of distress and agony crying but of course he knew what that was really behind such a request and the lord said to samuel it's okay let them choose himself a king i will anoint him and i will allow him to go before them fight their battles for them But down the line, he's going to enslave them, like King Saul. Down the line, he's going to do this, he's going to do that, like the Antichrist. And they will fall for his scheming and his shenanigans, and as a result, many are going to be just slain. Now, for today, I'm going to say this. If you are an unsaved Jew, you don't want the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't believe on him, you don't have any interest concerning him, you are going to stay as you are. That's how it normally goes for most religious Jews anyway. And eventually, once this church that you despise has been removed, the Antichrist will arrive, and he'll work very closely with the false prophets, if you will, Jesus and John the Baptist, but in reverse. First coming, Jesus and John work closely together. The Jews, for the most part, reject Jesus and John, but the Gentiles receive, especially Jesus, post the resurrection. Once the church has been removed... You've got two characters that are going to come on the scene. Antichrist, false prophet, Jesus and John, but in reverse order. And those two gentlemen, quite likely Jewish, are going to be against you, not for you. But the world won't see it. The world won't want to uh, perceive the deception. And they will fall for these two gentlemen. I mean in the millions. And it's going to be terrible to see. And the Lord, in his mercy, will send a couple of witnesses, Jewish of course, to preach outside a Jewish temple. In a Jewish city. And if that wasn't enough. He would send 144,000 Jewish virgin men. You can't say the Lord isn't merciful. You can't say the Lord doesn't care for you. You can't say the Lord doesn't want to do something for you. He will do whatever he has to do. To save people. John the Baptist was preaching for many months. Before the Lord arrived. Getting people ready for the arrival of the Messiah. And like I've already said. One of the reasons why people didn't like John the Baptist was because he wasn't like they were. Wasn't cut from the same cloth. And they were quizzing him. They were examining him. Who does this man think he is? He's pretty rough and ready, so on and so forth. And of course, as the days and months would go on, the Messiah would arrive. He would baptize the Messiah. And the Messiah would say how John the Baptist was the greatest man that ever lived. Because he was sent to prepare the way of Jehovah God being jesus christ and people that received john's message would go on to receive the message from jesus concerning the kingdom of god kingdom of heaven but for most of the unsaved jews they couldn't see it wouldn't see it because according to first make that second corinthians second corinthians chapter 4 the devil has been able to blind them nine and moses spake unto aaron say unto all the congregation of the children of israel Come near before the Lord, for he hath heard your murmurings. In a sense, it's like a boarding school. In a sense, it's like the old-fashioned private schools in the UK. Kids were sent to boarding schools. They would spend most of the year there. And Christmas time, Easter time, they would go back to their homes, see their parents. But once they arrived at their private schools, like Eton or places such as that, they would be summoned, Harrow they be summoned to the headmaster to give an account of themselves to such a person. Here, the Lord is uh, making it clear through Moses and Aaron that he is aware of their murmurings, and yet time after time he holds back. Many times when a child goes through a schooling, he or she will fall foul of the teachers, should get a beating, and yet many times... Doesn't, because the teachers use their discretion. They show mercy to the child. Lord, heareth your murmurings, middle part of verse 8, which ye murmur against him. So it wasn't just that they were murmuring against Moses and Aaron, but in reality they were murmuring against Almighty God. Going back to when people attack the Bible, like the King James Bible, they make fun of this book, and they say it has errors, they say it is archaic, they say it's hard to understand. And you take them to the New King James, they find fault in that as well. You take them to the NIV, the ESV, they say it's too modern. You take them to the Living Bible, you take them to the Message, they say it doesn't sound like the word of the Lord, because it doesn't, it's not. You can't please everybody, and many times people don't want to be pleased. Nine again, Moses spake unto Aaron, Say unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord. Come now, let us reason together," saith the Lord, for He hath heard your murmurings. So it's time for an inspection. It's time for a meeting. Almighty God is going to come down in verse ten. He's going to deal with this almost treachery, almost uh, rebellion in the camp, as it were. And here Moses, via Aaron, as a result of being commissioned by the Lord, is preparing them for what is about to come. Verse ten, and our close. And it came to pass, as Aaron spake unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. Very reminiscent to the transfiguration. Moses and Aaron see the glory of the Lord coming down via a cloud. Jesus Christ takes at least two of his apostles up into the transfiguration, up into the mountain, to see him transfigured. Moses and Aaron were privileged to see what they saw. John Andrew and also Peter were privileged to see what they would see. Not everybody in the Old Testament would be shown what Moses and Aaron would be shown. And the same would be true in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul would be taken up to heaven. And also he would be shown the deep. Could be a vision of hell. John, son of Zebedee, would be shown future events. Which he speaks about from the book of Revelation. The reason why the Lord picks himself certain people to see certain things and doesn't allow others to experience certain visions and revelations is so that no one person can receive all of the glory of the lord so 10 verses from exodus chapter 16 and what you've had this morning i think is a general overview i'm going to go deeper next week into this chapter dealing with the bread from heaven now for the new testament in fact for the old testament i should say it's physical bread But for the New Testament, it is spiritual bread. And that's one of the reasons why the Jews didn't like the idea that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, being deity, was because they knew him. They had grown up with him, didn't like the idea of one of their own having such authority over them. And therefore, for the Old Testament, the Jews are kicking against Moses. New Testament, they are kicking against the Messiah. Old Testament, the Jews are going to murmur against Moses and Aaron like they would murmur against Jesus and John the Baptist and also Peter and John, Paul and Barnabas. The same is true today. If you are a street preacher, if you are a a faithful minister of the Lord, they're going to murmur against you. They're going to find fault in you. They will criticize how you stand, how you dress, how you speak, how you look. They may say you have a very long beard. They may say you have a short beard. They may say you have a moustache. They may say you don't have a moustache. They'll find something, somehow, some way to pull you up over. Behold the glory of the Lord, concerning a cloud comes down from heaven and again transfiguration for the new testament but for the old testament this is the preparation of the birth of a nation and also for the new testament you've got moses and aaron you've got the prince spoken of from the book of ezekiel you have the sons of the prince spoken of from the book of ezekiel it could be joseph it could be joseph and his sons and the prince and his sons found in ezekiel are going to be on the new earth uh ezekiel 44 45 46 isaiah picks up on this message this theme from i think from memory isaiah 66 you've got jesus christ come back to rule and reign on the new earth and also from and via new jerusalem but for the old testament a literal people picturing a literal people for the new earth which takes place after the church has been removed moses and Aaron are very typical some extent of jesus and john although not it doesn't quite match uh, completely but it comes near i think it's probably better to say that moses and aaron for the old testament are probably nearer to joseph and his sons for the thousand year reign of christ somebody once said that the main theme of the bible is about a king and a kingdom the king of course is jesus the kingdom is the millennial reign the church period is a small blip in a massive jigsaw if you will the Uh, church the body of christ is a small part in a bigger picture i'm gonna close it there and pick it up more next week so this will be week number 42 and as of last sunday by the grace of god we have accumulated 24 and a half hours of material and as of last week we arrived at verse 11 and 12 from the book of exodus and go to exodus please chapter 16 look at verse 11 again and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel. Speak unto them, saying, At even ye should eat flesh, and in the morning ye shall be filled with bread. And ye shall know that I am the Lord your God. So the children of Israel were, on the one hand, go back maybe three or four weeks, worshipping the Lord, rejoicing in his deliverance from physical slavery. And around three or four weeks later, they are now slating. They are... Complaining, They are backbiting. They are griping against the Lord. And this goes back to the reality how our memories are very short, very brief. And that's why the Apostle Paul would tell you to renew your mind every day. He would tell you to read the scriptures. In fact, Jesus Christ told you from the Gospel of John to search the scriptures. The Apostle Paul told you to do so. And if you didn't do so, you'd be ashamed. In other words, you wouldn't be able to rightly divide the word of truth and if somebody came along like a heretic or a blasphemer and put the scripture on you you may not be able to handle such a critic and i've had many conversations over the years and i've watched many people online over the years and you can always tell when somebody is in fellowship with the lord and the minute you get out of fellowship with the lord you start to backslide of course but not just that you start to dry up and then one day the lord sends a heretic your way to challenge you it could be on the sabbath it could be on tongues it could be on eternal security and you are floundering you are trying to remember what the scripture says because you don't read the scripture as much as you once did lord spake unto moses in an audible voice saying i've heard the murmurings of the children of israel today the lord speaks to you through his word if somebody says to you that the lord has spoken to them in an audible voice or they have seen the lord with their own eyes Nine times out of ten, they are not only lying, but are perhaps wanting to get a crowd, uh, get an audience. And that one percent out of ten could simply be down to their immune system being deficient. You are what you eat or a lack of sleep. Every so often people will hallucinate. They will think they have seen something or they will think they have heard something. And they turn around and say, but I am convinced. And they sometimes will say this, as God is my witness, and the moment they do that, they bring the Lord into the equation. And a good times, or a good many times, people that listen to such characters will fall for those people. Joseph Smith would make the case how the Lord, the triune Lord, and of course he believed in three gods, not three persons, and he would say how on one occasion he would see the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Fast forward 75 years, he's got around 20,000 followers. Not bad for a con man from New York. Or if you think of someone like Charles Taze Russell, uneducated character, a dubious man. He married money, as they say. His wife was more educated than he was. And he had the belief that Jesus Christ wasn't God. And he said that Jesus Christ was Michael, the archangel. And 45 years after his death, again, maybe 15,000 followers. Not bad for a boy who left school at 12. You see, this is how people are when it comes to religion. Look at Muhammad. On one occasion he said that a spirit had appeared to him and this spirit appeared to him when he was in a cave. And his, his older wife, like a mother figure, told him that what he had seen and heard was from the Lord. And he's also rolling around on the floor, foam coming out of his mouth like a mad dog. Fast forward, maybe 75 years after his death, he's got several thousand followers. Not bad for an illiterate. Now if I was to say that to you, do you think I'd get a following? I wonder, I hope not. But here these verses are demonstrating the children of Israel's short memory. The apostles were the same. One moment they would see the Lord Jesus Christ walking on the water. Raising the dead. Feeding 20,000 people. Preaching like nobody had ever preached. Really expounding the scriptures. And then within a few moments they'd forgotten all of those things. They're arguing. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he would say you are a evil and perverse generation. And he were gone to chastise them. We are all guilty of this. I know that I am guilty of this. I forget sometimes what the Lord has done for me. And I'm sure that you have probably forgotten at times what the Lord has done for you. So I'm not going to be too hard on the children of Israel when it comes to um, their short memory span. Look at verse 13. And it came to pass that at even the quails came up and covered the camp. And in the morning the dew lay round about the host. And when the dew that was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness, there lay a small round thing, as small as a hoarfrost, frost on the ground. So the Lord says this. He says, well, first of all, I will take care of your needs. I'm going to feed you with manna. I'm going to feed you with quails. And of course, quails feed into manna, feeds into birds. But on top of that, he wants to really break the people of Israel down. If you think from verse one, it speaks about the land of sin. Now, the land of sin was a vast and hostile environment, surrounded by sand and stone—a very bleak environment, a bit like when Paul were going to Arabia. And therefore, that environment was most appropriate to prepare and mould the people of God. If you want to spend any time building somebody up, the chances are you're putting them through the paces. And I've already spoken about the Royal Marines, and they go on a gruelling 26-week course. The fall-away rate is incredibly high. Never mind Oxford or Cambridge, they've got a very high fall-away rate. You try and get into the Marines, I think 75% of recruits fall away. Around 45% of those that go into the paratroop regiment, the paras, as they are called, fall away. If you want to get into the special forces, like the SAS or the SBS, 95% can't make it. They just can't make it. It's too gruelling. It's too difficult and therefore the Lord is going to prepare himself a people. Not just Moses, not just Aaron, not just Miriam, but leaders like her. Leaders like Caleb, leaders like Joshua. This will be the next generation that are going to come up and do wonderful things. Look at verse uh, 15. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, It is manna, for they wist not what it was. And Moses said unto them, This is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. So Jesus Christ, of course, is the bread from heaven. And when he said that to the Jews, found over in John chapter 6, they went berserk. They were jealous of him. They hated the idea that somebody that had come from their own ranks had gone to their own schools. They knew his mother. They knew his stepfather would have the audacity to turn around and say that he was the Messiah. And jealousy, envy is a terrible thing. Maybe six months ago or so, I was reading an article online about a young English girl. She was 15 or 16. A very pretty girl, very well-educated girl, very smart girl, very intelligent girl. But she had a problem. All of her friends weren't like she was. They weren't beautiful. They weren't smart. They weren't intelligent. And this poor young girl was struggling to fit in. And week after week, month after month, her friends broke her down. And it got so bad for her that she couldn't handle it. She was being teased. She was being bullied. And like I say, she was in a class of her own. And after a while, it got too much for her. When her friends uh, failed uh, to physically humiliate her, they started to freeze her out. They said to other girls, don't speak to her. Don't give her the time of day. She thinks she's better than all of us. And this poor young girl uh, started to struggle to eat. Lost her appetite. Um... started to force herself to be sick and eventually lost a lot of weight. Her parents were unaware as to the amount of stress and strain that their beautiful daughter was under. Perhaps her parents were too busy working full-time jobs, I don't know. But eventually this young girl, after five or six months of being physically abused, emotionally abused, shamed and insulted before school, after school, went home and she hanged herself. She couldn't handle it. The Jealousy from her friends was too much. They didn't like the fact that she was brighter than they were. She got uh, A-grade results. They didn't. She was very beautiful, like I say, very pretty. And it was just too much for her. So it's the same kind of a thing. The Jews saw Jesus, didn't like him. The Jews at times didn't like Moses or Miriam or Aaron. And they probably said this, this family are a dynasty. You've got two brothers and a sister. It's very cozy. Go back to King Henry VIII. He was surrounded by family and friends. His brother-in-law, uh, Charles, was once married to his sister and eventually the sister died and the brother was frozen out of Henry's court only to be reintroduced later. And Henry and Charles were very close, in some ways like brothers. And as the years went by, Charles got more and more powerful. And towards the end of his life, he was number two in Henry's kingdom. Of course, Henry's uh, subjects, many of which had been executed alike, Thomas More and uh, Thomas Cromwell had long gone, of course, but they would have seen Charles come up the ranks. Didn't like it. Jealousy. What do they call it? Nepotism. So it's jealousy. It's envy. It's hatred. It's not wanting to uh, accept the will of the Lord. In fact, this is over in Matthew 28 and also Mark chapter 3. Especially Mark chapter 3. It says how the Lord's extended family didn't believe on him. Didn't receive him. They thought he was mad. Jealousy again. But here, verse 15, it is manna, meaning bread, for they wist not what it was. This is supernatural. So therefore, this manna is going to appear daily on the ground. In other words, it's going to be raining manna every day. And in the morning, you'd wake up and find this manna on the ground. And it's like uh, thin flakes of frost. And if you ground such into grain, it will taste like honey, honey pancakes. Very tasty, very healthy, enough to carry an army. And if you go back to the days of Oliver Cromwell, one of his struggles was to feed his army, was to take care of his army's needs. And he'd be writing back to family and friends in London, begging them for money and also for food. And his friends and family would raise money to send to Oliver to uh, to pay his soldiers. What they say? An army marches on its stomach. A lot of truth in that. And therefore... 13 14 15 the lord is going to step in in a supernatural kind of a way and feed maybe six million jews maybe three million jews he's going to feed them from heaven he's going to sustain them and for 40 years that's just what he does and you can't miss that unless you don't want to see it of course the lord jesus christ came to the earth for three and a half years he would feed Like I say, the 5,000, which if you add on women and children, gives you 20. On another occasion, he would feed 4,000, which if you add on the women and children, would give you probably 15,000. He would heal the sick. He would raise the dead. I mean, Elisha and Elijah were pretty remarkable prophets, but they weren't a patch. They didn't come anywhere near the majesty of the Messiah. And that's why when he would say he was the Lord of the Sabbath, he was the Lord of the temple, they went berserk. Again, it's jealousy. We shan't have this man to reign over us. Who does this man think he is? We know his mother, Mary. We know his father being a stepfather, Joseph. They don't like it. And therefore they start to plan a council. Later on in the book of Numbers, they're going to plan an unofficial council to overthrow Moses. And the Lord gets wind of that. And two of the perpetrators behind there were Aaron and Miriam. We call that treachery. It's jealousy, you see. It's envy. And that poor English girl couldn't handle it. She struggled for weeks. And weeks and weeks, her grades started to slip. She lost a lot of weight. And one day, with all the pressure on top of her and her friends not relenting, continuing to get more and more fierce and ferocious, the insults were coming through Facebook and Snapchat and uh, what have you. It was too much for her. Now, the tragedy with that young woman was that she wasn't able to speak to her parents. And on top of that, she wasn't able to speak to her teachers. And I think, had she spoken to her parents, had she spoken to her teachers, she'd be alive today. But it's jealousy. It's envy. He goes back to the fact how all of our righteousnesses is as filthy rags. All of our goodness, quote-unquote, or the best that we can do is an abomination in the sight of the Lord. Look at verse 16. This is a thing which the Lord hath commanded. Gather of it every man according to his eating, an omer for every man, according to the number of your persons. Take ye every man for them which are in his tents. There's plenty of food to go around. And Some years ago, we were doing street work in Oldham. And I got talking to this elderly lady. And she was somewhat skeptical, a bit of a scoffer. And she said to me, where is your God? In countries like uh, Ethiopia, the Sudan. And she mentioned some other countries to me. And she said to me, why are so many people starving all over the world? And I said to her, let me tell you a couple of things. It is true that I think 45% of the world will go to sleep hungry tonight. And maybe a quarter of that 45% will die tonight of starvation, of hunger, of thirst. But did you know I said that there was enough food, water, milk, and everything else that we take for granted, butter, cheese, bread, to go around the world three times over? And she looked somewhat shocked at that. And I said to her, the reason why so many people are starving is really down to the greed of governments. Greedy governments, they want a higher quota. They want to charge you through the teeth. And if they don't reach their quota, they will throw milk into the ocean, literally. Mm. They will just discard it and burn coffee. In fact, if you don't believe me, go to your local supermarket tonight around 5 to 4. In the UK, supermarkets close at 4 o'clock on a Sunday. Go in about 5 to 4. And you will see food reduced, sometimes, not always. And what they don't sell, they will throw out. And I read a book years ago called The Bin Raiders, written by the Jesus Christians, a Christian cult. And in that book, The Bin Raiders, written by a false teacher in Australia, a guy called Dave McKay for memory. He spoke about his disciples, in in Australia especially, who would uh, visit the local supermarkets at night time. Bin Raiders, go through the bins. And he was appalled at what supermarkets would throw out. Good food, although it had expired, it can be eaten two or three days afterwards. But legally, or I guess the policy of the supermarket says you have to throw it out. And these guys, these so-called Jesus Christians, were having a great time. A lot of good food. And I think on one occasion they were arrested for stealing. Went to court and they said, well, listen, this food has been thrown out. It's been discarded into these huge uh, rubbish bins or trash bins as the as the americans call it why are we being penalized for taking from you know these rubbish bins the food has been thrown out discarded and the supermarket said we don't want people hanging around our bins at night rummaging through the bins but the point is this there is enough food today to go all around the world two or three times over and every time there's an earthquake or hurricane or a typhoon which hits a part of the world countries like britain And America, especially, and perhaps Canada, start to raise money. They send money to those countries to take care of their needs. And of course, you know what happens nearly every single time. And I mean like every single time, or almost every single time, the water, the food, the grain that is sent from Britain, America, and Canada gets skimmed off. It should go to those that really need it, but it doesn't. It goes to the warlords. It goes to the gurus. Look at verse 17. And the children of Israel did so and gathered some more, some less. So there's enough to feast on. You were told to feast on the Lord. You were told to taste the Lord. You were told to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And here the Lord is really shining. He's got himself a people of around three million. He's got perhaps 25,000 wild animals. He knows that the Gentiles are watching this huge caravan of people. He's taking them into the desert called the land of sin. And like I say, this hostile and vast environment surrounded by stone and sand, the sort of place you wouldn't last five minutes in, and after a period of time of prepping and preparing such people to become the people of God, he knows that they're going to start to struggle. They're going to start to backbite. They're going to forget the wonderful things of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're going to get jealous, envious. And that's a problem which I would suggest is in all of us. Look at verse 18. And when they did meet it with an omer, he that gathered much had nothing over, and he that gathered little had no lack. They gathered every man according to his eating. It's like a feast. You think Solomon had a lot, and he certainly did. You think King David had a lot, and he certainly did. King Henry had an awful lot. At Henry's height, he was quite possibly the most powerful monarch in the whole of Western Europe. He had kings from France and Spain come into his court, come into his palace. They wanted to marry his... Firstborn mary later referred to as bloody mary they wanted to do a deal with him he had the spanish emperor clashing with the french king and when the spanish make like that the french excuse me when the french uh, did a deal with the turks it was time for henry to move and henry decided to invade france with charles again his brother-in-law and that was the last great victory that king henry would enjoy and he took boulogne he took calais and he forced the French mayor in Boulogne. Or was as they would pronounce it then. Boulogne. They pronounced the E. But today the E is silence. And the mayor of Boulogne. Or Boulogne. Was forced to come to uh, Henry's tent. On his knees. And accept defeat. Henry had been victorious. Those guys knew how to feast. Henry knew how to feast. Solomon knew how to feast. David knew how to feast. But those gentlemen... Are eating from the land as it were. They are taking the fruit from the land as it were. Milk and honey in a sense. But here the Lord is feeding them in a supernatural way. So nobody could turn around and say it's just by fluke. Or it's just by chance. The whole point of these miracles is to show that the Lord is in complete control of everything. 24-7. Children of Israel 17 did so. You need to put your faith into action. Not only do you need to appropriate the atonement. You need to help yourself. Like the old uh, expression goes. The Lord helps those who help themselves. Much truth in that. Gather some. uh, Some more. Some less. In other words. There's more than enough to go around. And yet unfortunately most countries today are very greedy. Most countries today want to punish other countries. The European Union are very good at punishing countries outside of the EU. If you are a country outside of the EU. And you want to get a looking. Good luck. You won't get a looking. It's all sewn up. The European Union is run by predominantly white middle-class men, white middle-class women, unelected. Some are upper-class white men, upper-class white women. Last time I checked, there were no black leaders in the EU. There are no Asian leaders in the EU. It's a white man's game. It's a white woman's game. It's sewn up. And countries try to get a look in. They can't get a look in. The EU has got this stranglehold over not only their member states, what, 27 member countries, but if you're outside of the EU, and you want to do business with them, good luck, they won't let you in, it is sewn up, and that's how it is, all over the world, not just with the EU, but other power blocks, and I think when the final judgment comes around, groups like the EU, and others, are going to be absolutely quaking, 18, and when they did meet, it with an omer, he that gathered much, had nothing over, and he that gathered little, had no lack, They gathered every man according to his eating. This is really a continuation from verse 17. So you would think surely around this stage in the ministry of Moses. That there's nothing left to gripe about. Nothing left to be complaining about. And yet what happens? They are going to complain. They're going to gripe. They're going to kick against Moses. It would happen with the apostles. Not to the extreme as they would do to Moses. But they would try to kill David. On at least one occasion. And also Joshua got into trouble. Later on in the book of Joshua. And on one occasion he's on his face. He's torn his clothes. He wants to die. And people are going to stone him. 19. And Moses said. Let no man leave of it till the morning. Don't leave it till the morning. Don't waste food. Don't put off tomorrow what you can do today. What do the Spaniards say? Monana, Don't put off tomorrow what you can do today. If you can do something today do it. What does James say? Your life is but a vapour here today, gone the next. Many people think they are going to be able to live another day. It could be that poor girl that I've spoken about this morning, thought she could perhaps survive to the weekend. And then on that one dark day, it was too much for her. And she put a rope around her neck and she killed herself. There was no future day for her. King Henry VIII thought he would live forever. And on one occasion, his Beloved brother-in-law, ex-brother-in-law, Charles, came to him. He was sick, put his hands on Charles, attempted to heal him. Of course, the gift of healing has finished. You know that, I hope. And Charles came sick, and he went home sick. He died two or three hours later. Towards the end of Henry's life, Holborn decided to paint a portrait of him. He'd done the same for his late father, Henry the Seventh, And the first painting of Henry the 8th wasn't particularly flattering. Unlike Oliver Cromwell, who said warts and all... And Henry said to Holborn, do it again. He said, you've painted me as an old man, a dying king, which, of course, he was. He was 56 when he died. Grossly overweight, impotent. He had uh, gout. He was in an awful state, probably had syphilis as well. And his painter was sent back to paint him all over again. And the brilliant Holborn, or Holbein, depending on how you pronounce it, was able to improve, quote-unquote, his first painting. And Henry said, wonderful. That is how I look. Of course, it wasn't how he looked. He really painted Henry from a period of maybe 20 years earlier, before he was sick and dying. Verse 20. Notwithstanding, they hearken not unto Moses, but some on the left of it until the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was wroth with them. So let me say this. You say you are a Christian. You say you believe the scriptures. Do you really obey the scriptures? I mean, do you obey everything? That the Lord says. I know he gives you grace in a sense. He allows uh, a margin of disobedience to some extent. He won't zap you the minute you stop obeying him. But what do you do when you meet someone who's always had a fellowship with the Lord? Somebody who says they are a Christian. And yet doesn't really show any fruit. I'm not talking about lordship salvation. I'm not interested in that. I'm not talking about sinless perfection. It doesn't exist. I'm talking about somebody who says they are a Christian. And yet never has any fruit whatsoever we were in farnworth a few days ago doing some outreach and it's always a good town to travel to it's a tiny town outside of manchester in the north of england and we saw an old friend of ours a pastor haven't seen him in perhaps six seven eight years and i won't go into detail because there's no need but we saw him we recognized him straight away and We've been told some interesting uh, situations or an interesting account. Some troubling stories about his church. And he came over to us after getting his shopping. And let's just say this, that there's always two sides to every story. Now we had spoken to some of his former members maybe six months ago. And what they told us was very disturbing. And after speaking to this pastor, a four-point Calvinist, maybe a three-point Calvinist, And I said to Patrick, always two sides to every story. Mm. I won't go into detail, but the point is this. Be careful who you listen to. One of the problems that a lot of Christians struggle with, and I guess I've been guilty over the years of this, is gossip. You can gossip. You hear something, you tell somebody else, it's gossip. Gossip is sinful. Don't you know that? Can you keep a secret? If you can't keep a secret, you're in trouble. Now every Sunday morning I get on my feet and I do this live message and I share stories and I am always careful how much I share. I don't want to identify specific people. If somebody tells me something in confidence, I won't share it with anybody. That's always been my policy. And if I do share uh, stories or accounts, I make sure that uh, such uh, people who've told me what they have told me can't be identified. I don't do it to shame such people. I don't do it to embarrass or to give the impression that I am something special. But I do it to, many times, show the hypocrisy and not just the hypocrisy but the inconsistency of those that hold to lordship salvation sinners perfection because nobody is perfect only one man walked this earth who never gossiped never sinned never failed and that of course is the lord jesus christ but basically from verse 20 you've got the children of israel disobeying moses the people of israel would disobey the messiah the people of israel would disobey david joshua and Solomon. And also Paul would struggle with this from uh, Corinth. A lot of the leaders in Corinth were in two camps. Some were of Apollos. Uh, some were of Chloe. Some were of Paul. And he got the stick out and a spiritual sense and said, Listen, was Paul crucified for you? Was Apollos or Peter or Chloe crucified for you? Absolutely not. Stop being groups. Follow the Lord. 21 and our clothes. close. And they gathered it every morning. Every man according to his eating. And when the sun waxed hot, it melted. So once again, the Lord comes through. He puts up with the children of Israel. He puts up with the church. He puts up with me. He puts up with you. And thankfully, and praise the Lord, every time he puts up with us, every time he is gracious to us, we get a fresh start. But the main problem as I see it from the 16th chapter of the book of Exodus is a sense of unbelief. A sense of jealousy once again. When I was at school. One of my friends had family in America. It may have been Florida from uh, from memory. And he told me on one occasion. How his cousin was flying in from Florida. To spend Christmas. With him and his family. And he said to me. How his cousin had the latest Nintendo Game Boy. Now back in the 90s. That was pretty popular. Nintendo Game Boys. Very expensive. And of course the Americans. Are always ahead of us. Uh, Maybe Five or six months, sometimes a year. And his cousin arrived from America with the latest Game Boy, Nintendo, like I say. And early January, my friend returned to school, showing off his Game Boy. And a lot of people were jealous of that, envious of that. And a couple of fights broke out over this uh, particular uh, friend's Game Boy. It goes back to the young woman, very smart, very intelligent, very pretty. Nobody liked her, or they were very jealous of her. And of course, it resulted in her downfall. With my friend, a lot of fights broke out, like I say. People fell out with him. They thought he was showing off. Look at my Game Boy, brand new. It's from Florida. Uh, it won't be coming out in the UK for another 12 months. A lot of my associates didn't like this friend of mine bragging about his Nintendo Game Boy. But here the Lord wants to strengthen his people. He wants to prepare himself for people. He wants his people to rely on him. The just shall live by faith. It all goes back to faith. Do you have faith? Do you have faith in the blood of the Messiah? Do you have faith in the death, burial and resurrection of the Messiah? Do you have faith in the scripture? This morning I was thinking about the greatest attack against the scripture at the moment. And it's coming from obviously non-Christians. Because as I understand it, and I've said this for many years now, they are basically jealous of us. You won't find many faiths which teach that all of our past, present and future sins have been dealt With how our God became a man, died for our sins, and upon his death, Matthew 27, took a load back to heaven with him. You won't find that. And if you are a Muslim or a Jew or a Hindu or a Sikh or a Taoist or a Freemason or a Darwinist, you are jealous of that. And what do those people do? They kick against it. A lot of these people that you see online or you meet on the streets, like Speaker's Corner especially, nine times out of ten, they will uh, have their attacks and their arguments against Christianity ready to roll. Because they know that Christianity is a real thing, so it would be it would be the same for the children of Israel back in the Old Testament. You've got the Gentile nations I mean just pitch this for one moment. You've got the Gentile nations watching the Jews today. Israel is surrounded by two hundred and fifty million Muslims. They watch Israel like a hawk and they watch Israel very carefully. they see what is going on in Jerusalem and Tel Aviv, and they see the power the strength of Israel. they see how advanced she is, and she certainly is. She would take injured Palestinian terrorists and heal them operate on them and they send their doctors all over the world they send their specialists in into earthquake and disaster zones because they are advanced and those muslim countries are very jealous of israel go back fifteen, sixteen hundred 1600 years bc it's the same again the gentile nations are watching israel led by moses aaron and miriam they're jealous they're jealous they're jealous of what they are seeing and as always when you are jealous of something you kick against it But the worst part of this is when it comes from within your camp, not without. You expect people outside to be jealous, envious, to critique you, to pour you down. But it's even worse when it comes from within. So I'll say this and I'll close that the manna is a picture of bread. And of course, you know that manna can produce biscuits. It can produce bread itself, obviously, cakes, unleavened bread. And you can make bread from scratch from within 10 to 15 minutes. And therefore, the children of Israel are going to be cooking every day. They're going to be enjoying the manna appearing on the ground. And like I say, it is like thin flakes of frost. And if you grind that frost, if you uh, press it down, it obviously boils up, becomes bread-like. But more specifically, it it ends up tasting like honey. And that's where the term milk and honey comes from. Please open your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16. Look at verse 20 please. Notwithstanding they hearken not unto Moses. But some of them left of it until the morning. And it bred worms and stank. And Moses was wroth with them. So first of all the children of Israel have free will. Had free will. You have free will. From the beginning to the end of time man has free will. And this chapter deals with the people of Israel being prepared to become the people of God. Almighty God has picked himself a people out of obscurity and by the time he gets through them they'll be the most famous people, the most famous people on the face of the earth. Uh, From verse 7 and 8 it speaks about eating flesh in the evening like meat and bread in the morning. Almighty God can do anything he chooses to do, there isn't anything too small for him and yet if you speak to Muslims they will say that the Lord, Almighty God, isn't able to produce a son. And yet they are able to do just that. So I guess by their definition, they are more powerful than Almighty God. But here, verse 20, hearkened not unto Moses, didn't listen to Moses, did not obey Moses. Fast forward to the New Testament, did not listen to the Messiah, did not obey the Messiah, did not listen to Peter and John, Barnabas and Paul, and therefore some of them left of it until the morning. In other words, they produced Or they gathered too much bread left of it, discarded it until the morning. And of course, by that time, it has bread worms and stank. And Moses was wroth with them. So you buy a loaf of bread. In the UK, a typical loaf of bread lasts around three to five days. If you don't eat it within that time, it becomes stale. Or if you get some meat, some fish or meat of your fancy, if you undercook it, you are sick. And if you overcook it, it is tasteless. If you leave it and it passes its sell-by date, it is now worthless. And that's one of the reasons why so many people get food poisoning. Because the food is either undercooked, overcooked, left too long. I mean, this is common sense. This is basic stuff. And what you're reading about this morning and over the last 40-something weeks is really Almighty God, like I say, picking out a people from obscurity and for His own glory turning them into the people of God. And of course, along the way, he needs to teach them the basic habits, the basic principles of what to do. And I'll discuss that more this morning. 21, and they gathered it every morning, every man according to his eating. And when the sun waxed hot, it melted. And it came to pass that on the sixth of the day, they gathered twice as much bread. Two omers for one man, all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. So if you got too much, you are considered a hoarder. If you eat too much, you are considered a gluttonous character. And if you don't gather enough, you are considered to be negligent and irresponsible. Paul told you from 1 Timothy chapter 5 that if you didn't produce, didn't provide, didn't take care of your own household, you are worse than an infidel. Look at 23. And he said unto them, this is that which the Lord hath said. Tomorrow is the rest of the holy Sabbath unto the Lord. Bake that which you will bake today and see that you will seethe and that which remaineth over lay up for you to be kept until the morning again don't go crazy there's a movement in america i forget the term that they use for it they are survivalists they are preparing for the worst case scenario they are predominantly post-tribulational people and they are convinced that one day they will see the antichrist uh, the false prophet And they'll be forced to take the mark of the beast. Of course, we don't believe that at our ministry. We believe that we'll be raptured before the Antichrist and the beast arrives. But many millions in America, many people in America, many people around the world uh, that could well be saved, born again, are stocking up for the tribulation. they got underground bunkers in parts of America. And they actually believe that when the Antichrist and the false prophet arrives, they will somehow be able to avoid him. You can't avoid him. If you think of what happened when Nebuchadnezzar arrived and took the Jews into Babylon, they couldn't avoid it. Or if you go back to the great flood of Noah, all of those that weren't saved couldn't avoid it. Noah and his family, like eight souls, made it into the ark, a picture of our salvation. If you look at Elijah or Elisha, if you look at the apostles, all of them, apart from John, would be murdered, martyred for their faith. You can't avoid it. You can't escape it. And here the first mention of the Sabbath 23 has appeared in our text. Now for the Jews even up until now if they are religious they mark the Sabbath. We could say this that the Lord's Day has replaced the Sabbath. Although that doesn't really do justice because from biblical times if you didn't keep the Sabbath you were executed. For today if you don't keep the Lord's Day you are rarely, rarely, rarely excommunicated. There is great liberty in the Lord. You are told from Romans chapter 14 that you have the liberty to mark out a day and worship the Lord or to not have a day marked out to worship the Lord. But I'm going to say this at 20, 21, 22, 23 are really primitive stuff. I guess it's a bit like this. When you first started work, your very first job, if you think back to your very first job, you had to budget for your month. You had to budget for your rent or your mortgage, you had to budget for the cost of running your car, you had to budget for your utility bills, you had to budget for how to eat. And I remember when I first started working some years ago, I was working with a group of people much older than myself, in fact twice as old as I was at the time. And on one occasion over lunch, there may be five or six of us sitting around the lunch table and I was shocked to hear some of my older colleagues, much older than I was at the time, telling me that they'd run out of money and it was 10 days until the next payday until the next paycheck and i was pretty not smug but a little sure of myself perhaps i was and have always been frugal especially when i was younger and i couldn't work out why these people had run out of so much money of course as you get older you have more responsibilities the bills start to come in and you can appreciate why they were struggling but here the lord wants to prepare like i say the people of Israel to become the people of God he wants them to worship him not only in spirit and in truth like Jesus Christ would expect us to do but he wants them to worship him in a different way to how the Gentiles worshipped their gods he wanted them to dress a different sort of way he wanted them to speak a different sort of way and yet people today that get saved many times and I've said this so many times over the years want to become Jewish or They want to become Jewish while keeping one foot in the world. You can't serve two masters. If you are born again, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. You are just a saved, sanctified saint in the Lord. 24. And they laid it up till the morning, as Moses bade. And it did not stink, neither was there any worm therein. And Moses said, Eat that today, for today is a Sabbath unto the Lord. Today ye shall not find it in a field. Sabbath, day of rest. It was interesting because a few days ago I was in King's Cross London and I was speaking to this elderly woman and she was telling me about a church and a denomination that she is affiliated to and she said this, that she's very much into the Sabbath and of course when you meet Calvinists or those from the Reformed Persuasion, when they say Sabbath they mean Lord's Day and she was almost reminiscing I guess over the good old days when Christians would mark the Sabbath. Now again, in her mindset, that would be Sunday. Today, most Christians, even saved people, are a little loose on the Sunday. A lot of saved people don't uh, care for breaking of bread. The average church in the UK, if it's a Christian church, will break bread once a month. Times are changing. Yesterday, there was a vote in Ireland. Yet another vote in Ireland. Yet another referendum in Ireland. I've got to hand it to the Irish. They are very democratic. They want their people to give them the green light to do everything and anything. And the vote yesterday was to decide whether or not to repeal the blasphemy law. And I would imagine, I haven't researched it, but I would imagine that surrounds the Church of Rome and what they consider to be holy and sacred. 64% of good old Irish Catholics voted to abolish it. Go back to 1982, 83. John Paul II arrived, was worshipped, was received like a film star. Millions turned out to greet their holy father, quote-unquote. A year or so later, nearly every boy that was born in Ireland was called John Paul the Second or John Paul, I should say. Just literally John Paul, in honour of their great God. And yes, they do see him as a God, although they won't admit it to you publicly. And fast forward 30 years, they have voted to throw out the blasphemy law from yesterday. They have voted to allow same-sex marriage. They have allowed... Oh, they have voted to allow divorce, they have allowed, or they have voted to allow the government to bring in pretty much everything. Ireland is a Catholic country. Now, help me here, because I'm slightly confused. I'm not very bright. I don't really understand what is going on. You've got this Catholic country pretty much rejecting their Pope, rejecting their church's claim over them, are now pro same-sex marriage, same-sex adoption, divorce... divorce the abolition of blasphemy, abortion, that's now allowed. And yet the Church of Rome, as far as I know, haven't condemned yesterday's votes or the last dozen or so, going back the last three or four years. No anathemas have been issued. No curses have been dished out. And yet I was in Oxford a few days ago speaking to this Catholic woman. She has an MA in theology, a Master of Arts, a very intelligent woman about my age, I would guess, And I said to her this, I said, please help me out. You are a very educated woman, you've told me that. You are probably a lecturer in Oxford, the cream of the crop in England. Help me out, I said. How can it be possible that your church, your beloved church, still has an anathema on me? I'm still cursed, based on the Council of Trent. Check it out sometime, I said to her. From memory, there are 39 curses on ex-Catholics, now born again. And she looked very sheepish. And I said to her, please explain this to me. Why is it that your church still condemns me, and yet, based on your 1994 catechism, says that Jews and Muslims who don't believe in Jesus Christ, whereas I do, are good to go to heaven, and yet someone like myself, who is born again, washed in the blood, is condemned to hell, based on your church's teachings? She couldn't answer me. And then she tiptoed around it, put up a smoke screen, And said to me, but Vatican II never once mentioned the Council of Trent. And I said to her, listen, don't take my word for it. You speak to one of your priests or bishops, somebody who you trust, and ask that character, ask that man of the cloth, quote unquote, whether or not Vatican II upheld Vatican I. Ask such a priest whether or not Vatican II is still in line with the Council of Trent. And it absolutely is. She couldn't answer me. We had quite a time of it, 25 minutes. I miss those good old street debates. But here you're looking at the people of Israel, led by two brothers, Moses and Aaron. The nearest you will get will be Jesus and John, both cousins, of course. Look at 25. And Moses said, eat that today, for today is a Sabbath unto the Lord. Today you shall not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath in it, there shall be none. So the Lord wants you to worship him. He wants you to mark out, if you were a Jew back in the day, Saturday being the Sabbath, for today being Sunday. If you are a parent, you appreciate, I am sure, time with your children, especially on a Sunday. And like I say, religious Jews will still mark out Saturday as their Sabbath. There was an awful event in Philadelphia yesterday. An awful terrorist attack. 11 Jews were shot dead by a lone shooter. We don't know the reason for it yet. They're saying it's the worst terrorist attack on the Jewish community in America ever. Mm. Hundreds of people turned up at this synagogue in America, in a leafy middle class area. Not all Jews are secular, incidentally. Not all Jews are atheists, incidentally. A good number are still religious and they mark the Sabbath. Like I say for today, if you are a saved Christian, you should attempt to at least break bread once a week. Whether on your own or with other people. 27. And it came to pass that there went out some of the people on the seventh day for to gather and they found none. They're going to breach the Sabbath. They're going to break it. Jesus Christ told us that he was the Lord of the Sabbath, how he was the Lord of the temple. He would say you call me master and lord and so I am. He would say before Abraham was I am. He would say he was the way the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the father but by me. And I said to this Catholic MA please explain this to me. I want to accept your knowledge. You seem very well briefed. This woman was able to recite verbatim the Apostles Creed to me. And I said to her incidentally the Apostles Creed isn't scriptural. Because it admits that Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost created the world along with God the Father. And I said to this woman, you are shortchanging the Lord. You are robbing him of his glory. Much like the cults do. Every false religion condemns, rejects the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. First John chapter 4 tells you that if somebody does not confess, refuses to confess how Jesus Christ is the Lord or Christ come in the flesh, meaning deity becomes mankind, if such a person doesn't proclaim that but denies it, they are Antichrist. I had quite a time of it, like I say. Some people are too educated. I remember years ago my grandmother said to me, she said, you're so sharp, you will cut yourself. I was only about 14, 15 at the time. And yes, that was probably true of myself. But imagine if I was a religious person, unsaved but very educated, going around shooting my mouth off about my church. And yes, I was pro and proud to be a Catholic before I was saved. But I said this, no church is as stupid as your church when it comes to offering itself as infallible. The only thing that's infallible is the Godhead and the Bible. No church is perfect. But again, this text is dealing with free will. And whether you like it or not, I know Calvinists hate me for saying this, but there is free will found in both Testaments. And here you've got a group of Jews breaking the Sabbath. Now throughout the scripture, if you broke the Sabbath, which is really high treason... In the eyes of the Lord. Because his ways ways are not our ways. And our ways are not his ways. The consequences were enormous. Tremendous. But remember what we said some weeks ago. How the children of Israel were allowed. They were offered the chance to enter. They were invited. That's a better term. They were invited to enter. Into this covenant relationship with the Lord. They knew the T's and C's. The terms and conditions. In the UK we have this very posh sports club. I shan't name it. And it's very posh. And they're very strict as to their rules and conditions, terms and conditions. And when you go into this place for the first time, the rules are up on the wall. And you may spend five or six minutes checking what they will and won't allow. They are so strict that you have to wear a particular swimming costume. You have the choice whether or not to accept their T's and C's. So don't get too shocked. When you hear about death uh, coming as a result of breaking the Sabbath. The Jews could have turned this down. The Jews could have said to Jehovah, no thank you. We will stay in Egypt, worship many gods, do our own thing, and perish with the Egyptians. Going back to the people in the days of Noah. They could have said they would remain. And many of course did. Only eight souls, like I say, were spared. So this goes back, like I say, to free will. 29. In fact, 28. 28. And the Lord said unto Moses, How long refuse ye to keep my commandments and my laws? So he's going to hold Moses partly responsible for this. Like a parent is held responsible for their children's behavior. Your kid goes to school. Your kid gets into trouble. The school phones you up. You call to the school. You have to explain your child's actions, don't you? Same is true here. How long refuse ye, Old English for all of you, to keep my commandments and my laws. So the Jews were expected to live a particular way. You join a golf club or a sports club, a tennis club, you are expected to live a particular way. You join a mosque, a synagogue or a church, there are rules. People say we are a secular country, people say we can do our own thing, to some extent. You join a business, you have a day's induction, sometimes two or three days of induction. You have to sign a contract, and after a few weeks and months, you are now... In the front line, as it were, a lot of responsibility comes your way. The first job I ever had, I had a lot of responsibility. And over the years, you start to get more responsibility. But you have the chance to say no. You could turn down a particular job. You could turn down a particular religion. Like I said, the Jews were invited to enter into this covenant relationship, this covenant, a covenantal relationship with the Lord. And the penalty for disobeying was severe, but the blessing for obeying was tremendous? Peace, joy, righteousness in the Holy Ghost, so on and so forth. But here, the Lord is holding Moses responsible, in a sense, for the rebellion concerning the children of Israel. The children of Israel. 29. See, for that the Lord hath given you the Sabbath, therefore he giveth you on the sixth the day the bread of two days. Abide ye every man in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So, Thursday... You're going to have twice as much to carry you through, not just for that particular day, but also for Friday sundown into Saturday sundown. You can't work. So two days' food will be accumulated to carry you through, see you through. And yet these survivalists in America are panicking. Some of these people in America, like I say, have got underground bunkers, are storing up on bottled water, tinned food. A lot of people are leaving the cities and moving into the middle of nowhere because they have misunderstood the scripture. They have been deceived by post-tribulational teachers. They are unable to delineate between the Gospels and the Epistles. And many times they get Matthew 24 all messed up and they see Matthew 24 as being for the church and it is not. And that's why you were told to rightly divide the word of truth, that you wouldn't be ashamed. Nothing wrong with planning, nothing wrong with making Uh, preparations for the future going back to that first job you had you had to plan you had to budget for your month of course you did otherwise you'd be out of money within two or three days and i've known people over the years that have had drink problems have had gambling problems always trying to get money from their friends and their family people get sick of it after a while i remember one guy that i worked with some years ago he was stealing from the company he was an alcoholic. And I was shocked to be told this from one of the managers. And one morning he arrived at 9 o'clock, his usual time. I was already, in, I was already there before he arrived. And he walked in. I wasn't even aware that he was an alcoholic. You can't always spot them. Yeah. This guy had been drinking for 20 years. Both of his parents died through alcoholism. Said good morning to me and I said good morning to him. No animosity for myself to him. I got on quite well with the guy, incidentally. Had to put him up for blaspheming a couple of times. But he was no problem for me or to me. By five past nine, he was fired. And by ten past nine, my boss at the time had to explain to me that he'd been removed. And I said, what was the reason for it? And I was told he had been stealing from the company. Verse 30. So the people rested on the seventh day. You get a warning. This guy had been been given a warning. The Jews were given a warning. In the UK, you get three warnings and you're fired. In the UK, if you are arrested by the police, you normally get a caution. You may get two cautions. In the US, they say three strikes and you're out. And in biblical times, there was the opportunity for discretion. In both Testaments, the Lord wouldn't just annihilate you, execute you, due to your rebellion. I guess if he did that, we'd all be dead. And here, nobody has been put to death. They've been warned. We will say for the day a written warning. You get a written warning, you need to be careful. The next time, the chances are you'll be disciplined. 31. And the house of Israel called the name thereof manna. And it was like coriander seed, white. And the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Very delicious. So again, night time, they're going to eat f- uh, meat. Morning time, they're going to eat bread. You've got around three and a half million scattered outside of the promised land you can't really comprehend it today but you've got this huge caravan on the move cooks chefs i think it was back in 2009 at the end of britain's deployment to afghanistan they built a base which from memory cost i think two billion pounds to maintain at the time it was the largest base overseas the brits were there the canadians And also the Americans, I think at its height, it was filled by 100,000 soldiers. And they were producing, I think, 20,000 meals a day. When the Americans go overseas, they take Pizza Hut with them. They take uh, Domino's with them. They take their uh, shops, their mouths with them. They live very comfortably, the Americans. And if you are an American cook serving the American forces overseas... You are cooking day and night. But of course, you've got modern technology. You've got a lot of money to prepare nice dishes, so on and so forth. But how about the Jews? Around 1500 years before Christ, in the desert, sand storms being watched by the Gentiles. And they've got to find food. They've got to make time to prepare food for themselves. Always aware that the Gentiles are wanting to invade, wanting to attack. And that basin, I think it was Helmand Province, from memory, was guarded by the Royal Air Force. And those guys had to guard this perimeter of several miles from memory. And you got these chefs cooking day and night. It could be Italian. It could be Indian. It could be your favourite Spanish dish. It could be anything for anyone. Oriental food. Like I say, when the Americans go overseas, they are treated like kings. The Brits don't do too badly. But of course, it's not... Always uh, easy to try and compare the present with the past, or the past with the present. House of Israel, called the name thereof manna, and it was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. You were told to feed on the Messiah. You were told to taste the goodness of the Lord. You were told to feed from the Word of God, and of course, you know that there are two words of God. You have the written word of god which of course is the king james bible and the living word of god which of course is the lord jesus christ and sometimes those two are so similar so near that you can't really delineate between the two if you are saved you need the written word of god to grow and if you are saved you need and you would need the living word of god to be saved you can't survive without one or the other 32 and Moses said, This is a thing which the Lord commandeth. Fill an omer of it to be kept for your generations, that they may see the bread wherewith I have fed you in the wilderness, when I brought you forth from the land of Egypt. And Moses said unto Aaron, Take a pot, and put an ome full of manna therein, and lay it up before the Lord, to be kept for your generations. So again, when I read these verses, I am reading about a literal people in a literal part of the world. And we refer to such as Midrash, because, of course, what takes place in the Old Testament, seven times out of ten, eight times out of ten, is going to be repeated during the thousand-year reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got the prince and his sons mentioned from Ezekiel, and we've already spent some time discussing those gentlemen. Could be Joseph. Joseph had two sons. Joseph was the prime minister of Egypt. Egypt is a type of the world. Joseph was working under Pharaoh. Pharaoh is a type of God the Father. Joseph is a type of God the Son. And his sons, if you will, represent redeemed Israel, New Earth, and the body of Christ from and found in New Jerusalem. 34. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept. Testimony. Ark of the Testament. Ark of the Covenant. You go online. You look up this verse. And I spent some time this morning looking up verse 34. A lot of theories. What's going on here, people say? There's no Ark of the Covenant yet. There's no tables yet. There's no Ten Commandments yet. Up until this time, nobody was even keeping the Sabbath. You share that with the SDA sometime. They go crazy. In my town, we have a Seventh-day Adventist church. Whenever I'm out and about, I go past that building. wonderful part of town, incidentally. I mean, geographically... <coughs> And I would say this, that if I was a member of the SDA church, I would say this. Let's get some really good banners up. Wonderful signs. You must be born again. Repent or perish. No other name given under heaven wherein we must be saved. But of course, that's not what you see. You have to park your car. You have to cross the street and walk towards the front door of this SDA building to get the times of when they open. There's no gospel presentation. I mean, if I had a building on a very, very busy main street, we call it four ways because the traffic comes from four ways. And I would say that perhaps 10,000 cars pass every 24 hours. I would say let's have a good banner up so people could be saved. Never happens. But the Sabbath hasn't yet been marked, given. And yet it has been alluded to here. But 34 speaks about the testimony. Now, if you have a King James, the testimony is capital T. The Ark of the Covenant, Ark of the Testimony. Now for today, according to the book of Revelation, the Ark of the Covenant is in heaven. It could be a couple of things. It could be that, like many parts of the scripture, when the writers would write down what they wrote, and here Moses is a writer, the author of this book. He's writing, of course, from later on in the history of Israel. He's got the testimony in mind, Ark of the Covenant in mind. It could be something else. But I'll be honest with you, I don't know what it really is in reference to. It could be one of two things, like I say. It could be in reference to the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Testament. But that is difficult because, like I say, the Ark of the Covenant hadn't yet been built. And the plates, the Ten Commandments, hadn't yet been given. Like the Sabbath alluded to here in verse 29, hasn't yet been given. And this goes back to the way the Lord writes the Scripture. Parenthesis, Book of Revelation. You get four endings in the book of revelation and that confuses a lot of people you get four gospels it gives you four accounts of so the lord jesus christ confuses a lot of people i going back to why a lot of people are now post-tribulational they can't exegete matthew 24 they see matthew 24 in reference to the church it is not jesus christ is not the king of the church he's the king of israel but he's the lord of the church he's a savior of the church king of israel Two different titles, going back to the sons of Joseph. Two different titles. Everlasting Father, the mighty God, Prince of Peace, Counselor, Wonderful God, so on and so forth. His name shall be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. But he was never once called Emmanuel in Matthew, Mark, Luke or John. The apostles never called him Emmanuel. Son of man, son of God. He's never once called the son of man in the epistles, but he is in the four gospels. And this is a problem that we have today. A lot of Christians are unable to distinguish between the Old Testament and the New Testament. This woman, like I say, very well educated. She told me she has an MA, like I say, in theology. I'm guessing that she's a teacher, a lecturer in Oxford. And yet she couldn't define grace for me. And I said to her, how do you define grace? And she just looked at me with dagger eyes. And she said to me, would I pray for her? And I did. And as I finished praying for her, her eyes were sky high. And I said to her, show some enthusiasm. I slightly needled her. And I thought, why are these people so unable to see what I am seeing? And I said this also, that your church is filled with contradictions. Your Pope will pray with Jews, Muslims, Freemasons. Pope Paul VI was made a saint last week. In 1975, went to a place outside of Rome, and he gave an audience to 24,000 Freemasons. i got the quote online. Paul VI, he's now a saint in the eyes of Rome, which, mean, which means you can pray to him, which means he's in heaven, and he's hanging around with Freemasons back in 1975. What's going on here? And She said to me, don't you believe in the communion of the saints? And I said, listen, the communion of the saints concerns saved people. You don't pray for dead people. Mary is dead. And she says, no, she is alive. She's in heaven. So don't play the semantics game with me. She is physically dead. She has passed. She's now saved, living in the third heaven. But she is dead. You don't pray to dead people. We had quite a time of it. My only regrets was I didn't film it. 35. And the children of Israel did eat manna 40 years until they came to a land inhabited. They did eat manna until they came unto the borders of the land of Canaan. Most people don't believe this. Most Catholics are into theistic evolution. Did you know that? Most Catholics, most Protestants, don't believe in the literal six-day creation. Going back to our conversation week before last with a pastor friend, his church had a split, like I've already said. Two deaths as a result of that split. One guy had a heart attack, dropped down dead in the church, apparently. His wife starved to death, literally, due to the shock of this split. And Like I said, some weeks ago, people were going around, some of the members from that former church telling us what they had seen and heard. It sounded awful. And then two weeks ago, we met the pastor in question, like I said last Sunday. Got a whole different take on things. But he told me this. He said this. One of the reasons why the church split was, number one, they wanted to throw out the King James Bible, which shocked me. And number two, they didn't want to hold, no longer believed in the six-day creation. That was also a shock to me. See, there's always two sides to every story. And I appreciated that pastor spending a few minutes speaking to Patrick and myself. Didn't have to, of course. We're not members of his church, but we've known him over 10 years now. So I think he felt that we were probably due, perhaps, an explanation. But when I read about 40 years in the desert and the children of Israel being fed supernaturally from the Lord, I know, because I've met these people, I've read their stuff online, I've watched their videos how 90%, and I mean 90% of Christendom, Catholic or Protestant, don't believe this. They will spiritualize it, going back to theistic evolution. Going back to this woman being unable to define grace for me. And I wonder what else she would struggle to define. You can quote the Apostles' Creed all you want. You can explain how you know about the uh, second Vatican Council. In fact, she shot me, in fact, when she told me that she'd actually read the entire Uh, amount of material that had been written, going back to Vatican II. That was a three-year meeting, by the way. That was 62 to 65. And I said to her, forget Vatican II, go back and check Trent out. Check out Trent sometime. Check it out. Because those curses are still on myself and other saved ex-Catholics. And at your church, like I say, holds hands with unbelieving Jews, unbelieving Muslims, Darwinists, atheists, Freemasons, Hindu Sikhs, the list goes on and on and on. Because the Church of Rome doesn't believe in the Bible. Don't you know that? I said. Your church it believes in their tradition superseding Scripture. 36 and I'll close. Now an omer is a tenth part of an ephah. So, an omer is 2.2 litres. An ephah is 22 litres. Have you one approach this? This is supernatural, literally. I mean, it's like creation. It's like the crucifixion. It's like salvation. Its like adoption it is supernatural through and through, and sometimes the Lord will give you an account as wonderful as this to see if you really believe in him and in his stories. Unfortunately, a good number of people like I say are unable to see it, perceive it and believe it, going back to what the Lord would tell you that those that have eyes to see will see and those that have ears to hear will hear, and by the grace of God he has saved my wretched soul some 16 years ago, when I first read the Bible, 16 years ago, I didn't question it, didn't doubt it, took every word as it was laid out in scripture, and yet, tragically, people go to seminary, I don't care if it's Catholic or Protestant, and they are ruined, absolutely ruined. So, over the last three weeks, we've looked at the bread from heaven, which again, is angels' food, Uh, Jesus Christ is the angel of the Lord, the Jews are going to be eating meat in the evening, bread in the morning. Almighty God and God alone is going to provide around 4 million Jews or thereabouts. He will also take care of their clothing. They're going to march. They're going to eventually arrive in the promised land, which is a pitch of our millennial rest, our inheritance. We have to work to go into the thousand-year reign. It's not just a free gift. Yes, you get it when you are saved, but you can lose it if you don't live it. Unlike salvation, which is a one-off gift which you cannot lose or earn people of israel would murmur against the apostles for new testament and also the old testament which i'm going to suggest is the equivalent of kicking against the inspiration of the word of god the manna is tied in with biscuits bread and cakes and if you think of that account from uh joshua no make that jeremiah jeremiah you've got the apostate jews baking uh, cakes for the queen of heaven which of course for the Roman Catholic is Mary and they worship their female goddess. To make bread from scratch will take around 15 minutes. But the overall theme so far is how quickly the Jews have forgotten the mercy of the Lord. Like the apostles from Matthew 28 it, it would say how many doubted the Lord. And he would have to spend time building them up, bring them back into fellowship with him. Short memories and we are all guilty of short memory is I'm afraid.